Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Ay 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 ay! It's the Ranger Command Power Hour! Today on the Power Hour, episode 177, Ranger Command interview, Simon Bennett, recorded on March 9th, 2021. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. It's time to Ranger Up with your hosts. I'm Eric, also known as Trekkie B47. I'm AP, also known as Secret Ranger Fan. And I'm Zach, also known as Hollywood. This episode is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more about supporting Ranger Command Power Hour. Thanks to our $5 and above patrons, Chris P., Steve F., AJW, Tyler W., Tyler B., Tyler D., Eric D., Leland D., Jacob P., Steve M., Liz M., Craig M., Mason M., Hassan A., Bo H., Raheem Y., Josh P., Derek G., and Teresa B. for supporting us this month. You can also find all of the links for our show at linktr.ee slash rangercommandph, as well as our Amazon affiliate store at amazon.com slash shop slash rangercommandph. Today we are interviewing Simon Bennett, best known in Ranger Nation as the current showrunner and executive producer for Power Rangers Dino Fury. He started directing for Power Rangers during Ninja Steel and continued through Beast Morphers. Aside from Power Rangers, he's an accomplished television director and producer, which includes the long-running Shortland Street, The Almighty Johnsons, Outrageous Fortune, Madigan's Quest, and more. Welcome to Ranger Command Power Hour, Simon. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to have you here. So I know you've worked on long-running soap opera which was Shortland Street, and now you're running Power Rangers. So what challenges did you face from like a technical standpoint going from something like a soap opera to an action adventure comedy kid show? It's a good question, but I didn't go straight from Shortland Street to Power Rangers. Um, I cut my teeth as a, a screen director and producer on Shortland Street about 24 years ago it was when I started on that. And um, prior to that, I'd been a theater director for about 10 years. So Shortland Street was my way into the industry. It was my introduction to shooting. I, I have been in and out of that world um, over the years, and I've done other things around Shortland Street. But because Shortland Street is ongoing, um, and as a freelancer, you tend to do lots of jobs, it's always been nice to come, come home to that particular world. Um, you couldn't get two more different shows, I don't think, mm-hmm. between Shortland Street and Power Rangers. I mean, Shortland Street make five episodes a week, five episodes every five days. It's on, it's on nightly in New Zealand. You're shooting mainly in the studio. It's very fast turnaround. You've got 15 or 20 minutes a scene. Um, the, the scenes are switched between three cameras, so it's live switching. Um, you don't have the same amount of time in post-production. Very few visual effects. Um, very little action. Basically, a show like Shorten Street is all about um, gossip and information exchange between characters in a room. It's a medical soap, so you do occasionally get people being wheeled in on a gurney with um, CPR required and various (laughs) medical (laughs) emergency stuff, but that's the extent of the action. But what I did learn 
working on Shortland Street for so many years, which is directly relevant to something like Power Rangers, is fundamentally how stories work and why characters are important to stories. Um, you have to really understand your characters in depth, what they want, what their backstory is, what makes them tick. And then if you've done all that groundwork with your characters, you can extract stories from the characters. Mm. And, and being able to do that, and that, that's about putting in the groundwork and character development, can give you really interesting stories. Um, there's, there's a well-building side as well. But also knowing how story structure works, knowing how to give a story a beginning, a middle, and an end, surprise twists, cliffhangers, reveals, what to keep up your sleeve um, and not give away to the audience, um, red herrings, you know, all those kinds of tricks and tools of the trade that we use on Power Rangers. I learned about on serial drama, namely Shorten Street. But, you know, I did do, I did produce a, a series called Madigan's Quest, which was a, a, a fantasy kid show. We only made 13 episodes, but it was high production value for New Zealand. A lot of visual effects, mainly shot on location. It was a post-apocalyptic world. Um, Tracy Collins, who is the production designer on Power Rangers, was the costume designer on Madigan's Quest. And oh, wow. so we, we, and also I, I worked with her back in the theater, back, as far back as 1990, 91. So long history with, with, with Tracy. So I have had experience on something similar to Power Rangers, although mm. it, it doesn't have the kind of martial arts um, base or, or, or fight quality that um, Power Rangers had. So when I came to Power Rangers as a director on Ninja Steel, I really didn't know what I was getting myself in for. I didn't know much about the show other than I knew people who'd worked on it and said, you should give this a go, you'd be good at it. Um, because crews in New Zealand is, is kind of quite a small community. Everyone knows everyone else. So I came into it completely cold without knowledge of all the previous seasons. I'd known, you know, quite a few actors who'd worked on it and as well as crew people. Mm -hmm. And it was a shock because I very quickly had to absorb and assimilate a whole lot of law as well as technical things that are very particular to Power Rangers, like, what is a Zord? What does morphing mean? Um, what are Power Rangers? Why are these monsters in rubber suits scary? <laughs> you know, who is the audience for? What is the idea of this show? Um, there was a lot to learn very quickly, but I really enjoyed the technical aspects of it because for me, I've always liked um, sci-fi fantasy um, yeah. and also... In theatre, my kind of trademark is quite technical big shows with complicated sound and lighting cues and, and stage effects and, you know, spectacle. So mm -hmm. working on as a d director on Power Rangers was a bit like running a very complicated techn technical rehearsal for a theatre show all the time. <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed that. So um, I, I found myself in my element and having a great time creatively and loving the people I was working with. Very nice. So are there any like additional media or trends aside from Super Sentai that maybe influenced this season? Like, for example, we've seen a lot of comparisons to uh, Doctor Who and the character of Zato. And we would just love to hear if maybe any other things influenced Dino Fury. That's a good question. I think those kinds of um, reflections are inadvertent. I think it's great that you, you see... Um, Echoes of Doctor Who and, and Zato. Um, 
but it's it's unintentional and it's inadvertent. But because we're dealing in the genre, the fantasy genre with a pinch of sci-fi in there, there are, there are always tropes that are going to be common to um, many different um, shows across the years um, that deal in similar territory, that, that you know, that they've got their toes in the same ponds. We have to be very careful not to draw on or reflect stories or ideas too closely from other shows because that would be plagiarism and we'd be in all kinds of legal problems. We're not allowed to have any names or overt references that um, are the same as other shows. In fact, you know, every script goes through a legal process where if there are any similarities, we have to change things. And also, we can't read fan fiction. We're not allowed to do that, and, and, and I never do, for the very reason that even if it's not deliberate, some of the ideas that we might pick up in fan fiction might lodge in our memories, and we might end up um, channeling them into the show that we're making, in which case we would be in a whole lot of trouble because um, we would be inadvertently ripping off someone else's ideas. So so, so the ideas in... in Power Rangers are generated by the brains and imagination of the writing team of the show. Of course, we are all influenced by and affected by the things that we loved and watched as we were growing up. Um, and you, ca you can't help that, but you can constantly say, isn't that a bit like, oh, maybe we should do something a bit different here because it's a bit too similar. So that those kinds of questions are, are things we come up against all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I watched Doctor Who as a child growing up in England in the um, early 70s when it was John Pertwee was the Doctor. And I was just a huge fan of the show and terrified. You know, was, those Daleks were so scary for an <laughs> eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, which I, I was then. Um, and I watched Star Trek in its first iteration back in the early 70s, and I, I loved that show. And then, you know... As I was growing up in the 70s and early 80s, I saw Star Wars at the movies. It must have been 10 or 15 times when it first came out. I just loved it so much. Mm. My parents could, didn't get it at all. They thought it was just a fad that would blow over very quickly. I shouldn't waste my pocket money on it. Um, <laughs> loved Star Wars. I loved um, Blade Runner when that came out. Um, uh, Brazil, Terry Gilliam film, mm -hmm. and also also humor and comedy. I, I was a huge fan of um, Monty Python growing up and um, British comedy um, and all, all the various offshoots that that had. So I think, I think, you know, you can't help but be influenced by your sources and the things that you love and, and that you absorb as you're growing up and that you are a fan of. But at the same time, you've got to try to avoid copying or reflecting or being derivative in what you do. But if there are echoes, then that's probably why, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was, that's kind of one of the things that I love in Dino Fury right now is that they're teleporting and transporting around now. It's uh, very much reminiscent of, of Star Trek and also the original uh, Mighty Morphin. So it's really cool. Well, it's practical too. You don't have to spend a lot of screen time with people leaving and then arriving, which, which is what we found ourselves doing in, in Beast Morph was that everyone was always pulling up in a, in a black SUV. And every time that happens, that's eight to 10 seconds of screen time that could be spent on story. Um, and, and screen time is, is such precious real estate with something like Power Rangers. When you've only got 22 minutes, 30 seconds to tell a story. Every second counts. Um, editing the show down to length is such a challenge because the episodes after they're shot and, and after the director has had their cut, they usually sort of um, 
two to three minutes over duration. But mm -hmm. the writing and the shooting is so tight that to take two and a half minutes out of an episode is painstaking and um, upsetting. I mean, usually the trims come from the Sentai footage and the Megazord fights because it's easy to trim those pieces of footage without damaging the story. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start damaging the story, then you lose coherence. If the story stops being coherent, then you lose the engagement of the audience and you're in trouble. So that, that, that's always a, a big challenge. Absolutely. Earlier, you know, we talked about you, know, you coming on board with Ninja Steel, and one of your directing credits for Ninja Steel included the 25th anniversary episode, Dimensions in Danger. Uh, considering the scope and the lore and the characters returning, what were some of the unique challenges that you had as a director on an episode like that as opposed to a normal episode? I think I might have had a couple of extra days to shoot that episode. Um, the, the really big challenging ones get a little bit more shooting time just because the nature of the material, it takes longer to shoot. I was fairly new still to the Power Rangers world when I was directing that. I was delighted to have been entrusted with it as a director and because I was quite new to, to the world. I guess I didn't know anything about the law. I didn't know who all these returning characters were because I hadn't watched the, the old seasons. Um, but I did know that it was a big reunion episode and it was important. And that made it challenging because I had a lot of um, people in the scenes I was shooting, um, all of whom had to have their moments. Um, <laughs> I remember one of the pieces of advice I was given by Chip, who was the executive producer back then, was... Um, Whatever scene it is, make sure you shoot a close-up of Jason David Frank. That was that was the, that was the that was the um, that was the guiding advice, um, and I followed that to a T. And Jason David Frank was very gracious and nice to me, and he gave me a signed photograph of himself on the last day on set. <laughs> um, I remember the morph, the big team morphing sequence when I don't know how many there were, there must have been about 18 rangers all lined up on those walls with the explosions. Um, and they all had their own individual morphing calls and that took forever to, to line up and shoot. And another challenge was um, for the art department people, you know, the, the onset props people, mm -hmm. making sure that each character had the right morpher or the right weapon because they have to get those details right because the fans will know immediately if something's wrong. And that can take quite a lot of time too. <laughs> um, and I do remember that, that, you know, the big battle scene at the, the, the farewell scene where they all go back through their various portals um, to their own, own um, dimensions and, and worlds. I only had like about an hour and a half to shoot that scene in because we were running out of time and it was raining and the light was fading. So I had to find a way of, covering that scene, you know, with, with the two cameras and shooting it as economically as possible with as few setups, but still trying to give everyone their, their, their moment, which is obviously what, what the fans want to see. Uh, you know, as a director, you, you have no influence on the story or the script. Your, your job is to bring that script to life in a way that tells the story accurately and compellingly to the audience. So hopefully it worked. I do also know that um, after I'd finished shooting, um, there are a number of pickup days at the end of the shoot for shooting pickups and additional shots. And Chip and the DP spent a lot of time shooting um, stunties in various ranger costumes running fast past green screen. So um, they could be comped into the battle scenes and made them look more populated because we actually didn't have many people. We just had mm -hmm. the same people 
wearing lots of different costumes composited. <laughs> so, so it was quite a big post-production um, effort. And the, the stuff with um, Tommy fighting himself in the dungeon and all the people where the Ranger clones were being manufactured, that was all second unit. I didn't shoot any of that because main unit tends to shoot all the material where um, the helmets are off and it's, it's actors. And second unit tends to shoot all the action and the sequences where, where it's fights and stunts. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's a separation there. Great. Moving on to uh, your time at Beast Morphers, you not only directed like the first two episodes of the first season, but also the last three of the second season with a lot in between. As a director, how did it feel to not only kind of set the tone of the season, but how much of a challenge was it to conclude it in a satisfactory way? It was a privilege, is the best thing I can say, really, to to shoot the beginning and end of a, of a new season because you are you're setting the ground rules, you're explaining to the audience what is this world and how does it work. You've got to be very clear and give everything the right amount of attention and suspense and um you know, introduce the characters. You're helping the actors and at the beginning of a season, often who are quite nervous, you're helping them relax, know their characters and give compelling performances that the audience will go, I know who that character is. I like them. I want to spend more time with them. That's, that's really important um, in the first two or three episodes of a season. And I, I enjoyed the world of Beast Morphers. Again, I hadn't seen any, any Go Busters, so I didn't know the Sentai it was taken from. But I liked the costumes. I liked the kind of quasi-military agency that they worked for. I liked the fact that um, the, their identities were known to a lot of the adults that they were interacting with, um, which meant that you didn't have to do quite so much skulking and secret identity stuff, which I always mm. find quite difficult um, and inexplicable, but it's one of the Power Ranger rules. <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed working with the cast. They were, they were a great bunch enthusiastic and committed right to the very end of the shoot. And, you know, in the same way that our current um, Dino Fury cast are just fantastic. And so by the time I came to the end, because I worked with them on quite a few episodes across the two seasons, um, I knew the cast quite well and the scripts were exciting. I got a lot of exciting action stuff direct, like the core of the Morphex Tower and Steel's demise and um, all of that. And I, you know, I thought the stories had a great forward momentum. There was a huge amount packed into those two episodes. I remember Evox yeah. running around the um, Grid Battle Force headquarters um, pursued by the Rangers. What was really nice about that was that it was time continuous sequence of scenes. So it's like one big scene. So mm-hmm. the, the continuity became very important from a directing point of view and what the, what the characters were going through. Um, normally it's a lot more um, uncontinuous than that. I knew, I think... By the time I was directing the last block of Beast Morphers, that I was heading into this role. It was, you know, no one else knew it was a secret, but I knew that that was the next step for me. So I was very much looking at the show by that stage with an outside eye overview, um, Mm -hmm. working to understand how all the bigger pieces of the puzzle um, fitted together. Because as a director, you're working hard and it's very intense, but you're only dealing with this amount of the, of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, in my current role, I'm dealing with the whole thing from the beginning of the idea to the delivery of the, of the finished program and all the pieces that go together to, to make it what it is. So I had quite a lot to learn about how all those pieces worked on this show. It's not too dissimilar to other shows that I've um, 
been a creative producer on um, New Zealand productions, but the scale of it is much bigger. Um, but with, with the, the scale of the visual effects and, you know, the length of time post-production takes, it's much more extensive and bigger than what I'm used to. But the same kind of skills, the same attention to detail and the same amount of creative involvement. So it's, it's a role I really enjoy, although I am, I do have to say, happiest when I'm um, on set working with actors and crew and directing. That's, that's, that's my happy place. But the frustration in television about being a director is that you really don't have the final say. You don't have the creative overview, as I, as I mentioned before. Mm. You are, it's a small piece of the puzzle. And, and the great thing about what I'm doing now is that I do have the creative overview from start to finish of the show, which, which I enjoy. So it swings and roundabouts. Yeah, it was something that we noted um, when we reviewed the first episode for our podcast. Just want to, you know, commend you and the crew for not only dealing with all the COVID stuff, but such a short turnaround to get it to a February premiere. I mean, that's really a fantastic job for for you and the the cast and crew. Thank you. It was an amazing job. We were lucky um, in New Zealand because we have a series of alert levels, COVID alert levels. Um, we went back to alert level one, um, which is the least risk level, mm-hmm. um, just before we started shooting in October. And um, we stayed in that level for 100 shooting days. So um, we didn't have to wear masks. We didn't have to social distance. It was pretty much life as normal in New Zealand for that period of time. And, and that helped us move swiftly. Once we get to level two, where everyone's wearing masks and you have to be much more cautious with mm-hmm. um, hygiene and distancing and all those things, then shooting slows down. And when we get to le- level three, we have to stop shooting because you can't do stunts, you can't have extras, you can't have any physical contact between actors. Um, actors have to do their own makeup and wardrobe. And for a show like Power Rangers, it just becomes unfeasible. Um, 90% of the show you can't actually film under those right. restrictions. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it is a tight turnaround. Um, not so much the further we get into it, because of course there's a hiatus on, on Nickelodeon. So the, the gap between um, when we deliver the program and when it's on air, it, it opens up again. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I will be working on post-production um, visual effects and music right through until... Um, I think it's May next year. So it's got a long, a long tail on it for, for my job. So I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. Nice. So nowadays it's rare for an executive producer of Power Rangers to interact with the fandom and be on message boards outside of like a typical convention. So why do you choose to engage with the fans and be more open? And what has been your experience? Yeah, it's, it, I have to be careful because it's, it's a rabbit hole that you can go down and not come out of. If you're not careful, it can be very, very time-consuming. I think it's something I've always done with the TV shows I've worked on. I worked on five seasons of a comedy drama, Outrageous Fortune and Almighty Johnson's, and I live-tweeted as those were going to air um, in New Zealand. And um, I just enjoyed that relationship with, with the viewers. I think coming from a theatre background, and when I started in television, it was pre-internet, um, you don't get an immediate response. In theatre, I guess you can feel if an audience is laughing or if they're 
shifting around because they're bored or if they're dead silent because they're engaged. So you can read whether your intention with the work is working um, because you can feel how the audience in a large room are um, engaged with the work. But with screen work, um, where it's an artifact that you made um, often months before, traditionally you can't tell whether it's working or not. I mean, ratings is one kind of um, metric, but it doesn't say whether the audience is reacting to, show, to the show in the way that you intended whether they're finding certain things funny or hating certain things or whether they're, they're um, excited by it or, or, or blasé about it. You, ju you just can't tell. And the internet, um, social media, gives you a way of having a conversation with the viewers, but also um, eavesdropping, really, on, on what people think of the thing that you're making. And, you know, you can be analytical and, and take on board the comments and think, yeah, they're saying that, but that's because of factors X, Y, and Z that are beyond my control, so I can't do anything about that. Then you can go, well, maybe I could explain factors X, Y, and Z, and people might understand why the thing is as it is. And then you go, well, actually, that's a really good point. I might keep that in mind and absorb it into the, into mm -hmm. the making of the show mm -hmm. because it's, I, I agree with those particular criticisms. And that's the thing about criticism in general. If it's good criticism, then you should learn and grow from it. Um, and, you know, if, if you are a creative person in, in whatever field you work in, you actually need criticism in order to change and grow. Um, and you need to make mistakes. You need to, you need to have failures so that you can get better at what it is that you do. I've been, um, you know, I, I feel at home online. I first, um, you know, got involved with the internet back in the mid nineties and I had an old dial up modem that made that strange sound and I was involved in <laughs> message boards and um, online chats and I've always loved it as a, as an environment. So it's something I feel very comfortable with. And it, as I said before, I think that the um, direct engagement with viewers, as long as it doesn't become something that saps all your time and energy, it helps stir up, conversation about the show people feel valued if they see that someone who, who's involved in making the show is replying to their comments mm -hmm. and i actually think that with dino fury i mean obviously the show has to stand up on its own two feet and speak for itself but i think the fact that there is a, a, a conversation there has really helped the profile and the reputation of the show a little bit um in people's minds it's it, it's like we're not a bunch of aloof people who just believe we're right and are going to ignore everyone. There's a conversation taking place, and um, I, think, I think that's healthy. But on the other hand, I've got to be very careful not to argue because there's no point doing that. Mm. And I've got to be very careful just to ignore um, the stupid comments and the, um, the trolling because there's no point getting involved sure. in that. And then you get sort of some people who ask very repetitive questions with a huge degree of urgency that I can't possibly answer because there are a whole lot of confidential things that I have to um, not talk about. And I I'm certainly would never give away any spoilers. So, so that's something else I have to be careful about. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but I do like, I like the two-way relationship that the internet allows between viewers of a show and the show itself. I think it's healthy and it's an ecosystem and it's, it's a, it becomes an organism of its own, which when things are going very well, as they seem to be at the moment with Dino Fury, um, it just helps feed the buzz and um, keep people's excitement and level of engagement with the show active and alive. You know, a community of fans 
who only know each other through their through their uh, love of a particular show. I think that's a healthy thing too. It, yeah. It's something that particularly in, in today's COVID era, um, a lot of those kind of community connections are severed or difficult to achieve, but the internet does allow people to share passion and um, enthusiasm and excitement about particular things like Power Rangers, as you all know yourselves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, and that's something, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, recently you've been posting a lot of like the behind the scenes sets uh, with Area 62 and uh, Dino Henge. And as someone who, you know, loves sci-fi and, and TV production and props and all that stuff, uh, getting a look behind the scenes, that's it, it's another part of the process that just fascinates me about the show. That's great. I mean, we started... I, I started working with Tracy Collins on concept designs for this season, I think way back in September of 2019. So a long time ago. And mm -hmm. um, we had books full of um, concept art of what these various sets and worlds would look like. Um, and amazingly, the sets haven't changed much from those initial drawings and, and sketches. I really like Area 52 as a set. I like video games. I used to play Marathon, you know, one of the early first-person shooters <laughs> way back in the day. Yeah. And um, I like games like um, Fallout. And to me, it does feel a bit like you're in, you're in a, a, a very high-resolution um, video game when you're walking around that set. But I like the, the kind of derelict, faded military vibe that it's got. And, and there are lots of secrets, of course, in that set that I can't possibly talk about, but nice. you will find out about as the show evolves. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Simon, we don't want to uh, take uh, much more of your time, but we just want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast today. And we know you're a, a busy guy. So thank you so much. You're most welcome. Very nice to meet you all. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, you too. so much. It was wonderful to thank chat you. with you. Thanks. So I just wanted to say that I thought we had a great interview with Simon. This is like the big one. Yeah, this was wonderful. Yeah, it was really great to hear his perspective on not only a little bit for Dino Fury, but also Ninja Steel and Beast Morphers as well. So I, I wanted to sneak some of those questions in there. But yeah. Overall, I really liked having Simon on the show. Huge thanks to our contacts at Hasbro for helping set all of that up. And also a huge thanks for Simon for taking out some time out of his schedule to record with us. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Huge thanks to everybody involved with making this happen. When we got word that this was happening, I think we all had an internal panic attack for a second there, but uh, <laughs> every, everything kind of worked out really well. And, and yes, yeah, Simon was just as gracious as could be, and, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's got an open-door invite anytime he wants to come on and talk about the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, tune in for some more Ranger Command Power Hour episodes later on this month, and we'll do some more reviews for episodes of Dino Fury that have aired, and we'll continue from there. So thank you for listening and have a good day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Ranger Command Power Hour, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphin Grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at RangerCommandPH. Like us on Facebook and Instagram at Ranger Command Power Hour. Ranger Command is also on Patreon. 
Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more. Thanks for listening.